Welcome back to our unrelenting examination of Disney's Frozen. We begin today immediately after Let It Go, the undisputed highlight of the film which ended on a conclusive closing of a door, surely the point at which many a home viewing comes to its comfortable end. But we're still yet to really meet three of the film's main characters, and their slightly confused place in the structure of the film is the main topic for this episode. We will cast a critical eye over the narrative crowd that is Kristoff, we'll puzzle over the role of Olaf, whose presence is welcome but raises all sorts of questions for us, and Sven, who has a very original voice but which speaks loudest about a previous Disney character. Strap in and hope your character is never called into question like these will be on this episode of Serious Disney. Hello again, we're back. Yes. Um, we're actually physically back. We are doing this on a, like two days later. Yes. But based on the length of Into the Night that we spent doing it the first time, <laughs> it's l less than 24 hours later probably. Yeah, I mean... Like, we are now up to just starting hour four of, <laughs> of this and podcast so about a hundred minute long film. Yeah, so let's go straight in. We are now on the scene in which Kristoff shows up. And I actually have no notes at all for the bit in the little shop where they actually first meet. So do you know oh, what say about that? Lodge. Yes. Not really. I mean, mm. he's a amusing character. He's uh, amusing enough. Um, yeah. And he doesn't outstay his welcome. No. Do you remember when the film came out, a lot of people were trying to seize upon him as an example of LGBT representation? Well, yes. I remember a glimmering of that, and then that was all, really. Yeah. I've seen the film now a couple of times. Mm -hmm. There's nothing in there that says that he's not. Nope. But or that says that he is. Yes. And... I can't really claim that as representation. No. If Disney said, aren't we great? We did representation there. We would have to say no. No. That's not a very good example of it. <laughs> no, it's not. No. The reason why that began is that the prominent family, when he says, my family, the well, prominent that, person. that's the whole in, reason that this was a thing in the first place, right? The, the, yes, the prominent person in that picture is a, a man. Yeah. There is, however, a figure next to him who, thanks to the way Disney draws, could be a woman <laughs> or could be a child of either gender or whatever. I think there is a tall, long-haired, wafy kind of yes. figure in the sauna who I think is an adult woman. Yes, I think so too. I'm not saying that means that no, that's... No, it doesn't. We've got no, no. information about the ways no. in which that any of these people are related at all. Yes. It's high time Disney crossed this bridge, so I wish it was a thing that we could discuss, but it isn't. No, it's not. And I'm amazed that anybody was able to turn this into a conversation point. So I guess we'll just move on from that. Is there? Well, I can't remember exactly what we said about Kristoff the other day. Can you? We didn't say anything. We kept dodging the issue because you were going to talk about him when we got to him, which is well, why I'm sort of aiming a torch at you at the moment. Yeah, I wish you'd stop that. Yes. Unfortunately, it's my magic torch, <laughs> and now your head is a portal to a sort of dream kingdom. Sorry about that. What? Well... <laughs> In the 80s, there was a cartoon called Jamie and the Magic Torch. And right. what he used to do is he would aim his torch beam at his bedroom floor and jump down it. What if he did aim? What, did, what, what would happen if he aimed it at a person? Did that ever it come up? never came up. Did it, like, remove their legs in, like, a televitation accident? Well, it never came up. I don't know. They covered it up if it happened. <laughs> right, well, don't... I, I don't want to find out, so don't do that anymore. Um, as for Kristoff. <laughs> yeah, as for Kristoff. I mean, what do you think? What's your broad opinion of him? I'm struggling to really have one. Do He's you all right. like him? Yeah-ish? Yeah. Or kind of? I mean, I remember that we did talk about the fact that he's, as a love interest, underdeveloped. Yes. To the point where, I mean, he definitely is one. Yes. And it's, you know, it's made explicitly clear in the final third of the film that, yes. that he has fallen in love with her. Yes. And that, you know, by the end of the film, they are, if not actively a couple, then they're aware of each other's feelings for each other and they're in... There is, if you like. An open door there. 
Yes. Uh, yes. To, to to walk through and start a relationship at some point that will potentially result in one of them being revealed to be a murder psycho. I mean, it opens the possibility yeah. that all previous Disney princes, yeah, were murderers. Yeah, yeah, and that within minutes, if not seconds, yeah, of the end of all previous Disney films, yeah, the prince killed the princess. Which, if this was in real life, would be a couple of weeks into the relationship, <laughs> which is a very realistic time frame for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah, wow. You know, imagine the episodes of, like, Forensic Files, <laughs> where it's like, well, they seem to be the perfect couple for the two months they were together, and then yeah. one of them killed the other one. Yeah, because he was a murder psycho, it yeah. turns out. Well, anyway... I like, I like uh, this this constant phrase, murder psycho. <laughs> there's different categories of psychos. There are! There's, there there's are. a sewing psycho. <laughs> there are different psychos. Oh, there are different psychos. I just like the idea of the murder psycho being similar to, like, a baker psycho or... <laughs> A cyclist psycho. That's a, <laughs> not an easy one to say, but... Psychologist psycho. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Right. Oh, that would be a scary one, actually. That would be a very... That was a Sky Sports news alert. <laughs> oh! oh am, I, am I keeping you from a football again? No, no, I've no. done that in the past. No, don't worry, don't okay. worry. My phone alerts me any time a football is happening of any kind. <laughs> even, even a football that I'm not interested in. Okay, right, good. Um... I put it on silent now, so you don't need to worry about the presence of any kind of intimidating sports things <laughs> happening. Oh, thank God. Within this nerds In my talk- house. Yeah, in your house. <laughs> in this nerds talking about a Disney film for six hours podcast. Yes. Frankly, I know you don't want to even be thinking about the idea that no. sports exist right now. Well, or at least if it, it suddenly interrupts somewhere that you don't expect it, it can be a harrowing thing. Yeah, yeah. Anyway... Christoph. So yeah, he's alright. Like, he's alright in the same way that every single character in this film is at least alright. Yes. Because the script of this film is really personable. It's that kind of witty repartee that doesn't have what I know you would describe as that Joss (laughs) Whedon-y sort of aroma around it. Where people are sparking off each other and having interplay with each other, but it doesn't necessarily feel like a grandstanding thing. It it makes the characters seem relatable. It makes them seem likeable. It makes seem like the kind of people you want to spend time with without it feeling like here is a writer writing quips yes i think that that is frozen one of its strongest traits and why it gets you to like the characters so much yeah and christoph is written with that same ability and thus he is a likable character i don't necessarily see what he does in the film that distinguishes him from any of the other characters who are already there to the point that it justifies how much he's in the film i guess we ought to allow that if we agreed previously that it would be a good idea to have given olaf to elsa as a character to talk to so that we can see her character yeah anna we must allow needs a character to do that with as well. That's true. I guess I'm I'm skewed in this because of the fact that Olaf is also with Anna. Yes. And Sven is with Kristoff as well. And do you know, Olaf with Anna by just by themselves, that would have been fine. Yes. Because then Anna would have been the one almost forced to take charge and, and yeah. do the things. And Olaf would have been the silly flighty one then. Yes. I mean, they still would have had to find a better purpose for Olaf to be there than just that. Yeah. But it wouldn't have felt so unbalanced at that point. But having Anna pick up this, what feels like a huge travelling party in the film, it feels huge because it's such a small cast for a movie. It's a good percentage of that cast are on this trip. Yeah. I mean, Christoph is the one who ends up, to me at least, feeling like you're taking up space that other characters could have used. Because, yes, he's a travelling companion and Anna needs a travelling companion so that she can speak and thus reveal aspects of her character and her journey. But there's other characters who could have done that. 
he is a love interest character. But there was already another character who could have done that. Yeah. And frankly, like I said, I kind of liked more in that role mm-hmm. before he turned out to be a murder psycho. Thirdly, in and of himself, his own kind of character journey is he's this antisocial outsider to a certain degree who's shunned human interaction a little bit and he kind of learns to come out of himself and reveal his selfless loving side that he didn't maybe necessarily know that he had by being put in a situation where he has to interact with Anna. But that's sort of Elsa's story, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Do you see what I mean? Like, yeah. he, everything he does, I feel like, is slightly doubling up and stepping on the toes of somebody else who is already in the film. Right. And not in a way that I feel like, oh, but he mirrors this character. Yeah. And, like, that double underlines this thematic point and accentuates that other character's journey. It's like, no, he, he kind of takes that character's journey and crowds them out a little bit. I guess I, I also have a little bit of an issue with with his design and casting a little bit. Because, yeah. I mean, like, he is being presented to us throughout the film as... Look how unlike Hans he is. Right, yeah. You know, Anna has fostered this quick, hasty, ill-advised relationship with Hans, who is this person, and then she runs into Kristoff, the rugged mountain man, who is everything that Hans isn't, and obviously, therefore, doesn't get on with him at first, and he seems like a completely different proposition, but ultimately, she realises that he's a much better man than Hans is. If that's the intent, and I feel like that's supposed to be the intent, because they keep making reference to the fact that you know, this is a guy who's basically got no family. He's grown up in the wilderness with a reindeer and some trolled. People keep talking about his bad manners and his mm-hmm. his uh, his smell and the fact that he doesn't <laughs> like to talk to people and all this. And yet they design him as just this quite dashing, princey-looking guy uh-huh. with the voice of somebody who I want to say literally is on Glee. <laughs> um... <laughs> Because I think maybe they are. Right. But even if they aren't, they sound like the kind of person who would be on Glee. Yes. And that, to me, is not what you would cast in the role of a rugged mountain man who is so very different from Prince Charming. Yeah. I just feel like the character is not quite everything he needs to be to really justify to me why he's in the film and taking up so much time that I would have liked to see allocated to other characters who aren't him. So I guess the only thing I really was going to say about Kristoff that is not tied to a particular moment in the film yeah, is that uh, I don't know at what point this emerges but it becomes canon that he, as you said, has been on his own, has yeah. lived without a family and doesn't did, did that strike you as a weird incongruity? Because like we was we saw them at the beginning, and there was no clear point where they went anywhere. Uh, who are we talking about? At the beginning of the film, you yes. see the young Kristoff, yes, with a load of other ones of him, but older, who you just yeah. assume are his tribe or people or family or whatever it happens to be at the time. Yeah. And then the next time we see him, he's like, "Yeah, I haven't got a family." Yeah. Why? Why not? And that led into this uncomfortable moment earlier in the film, we've got past it, where it's the moment where the troll is taking the memories out of young Anna. Yeah, yeah. Young Kristoff, who we've just seen with a load of people that he yeah. clearly belongs and works with and is being trained to be one of, because he's doing the, the clumsy version of the ice thing. He is just, like, one of the trolls just says, I'm keeping you. And then it turns out they do. <laughs> Is that kidnapping? But it's presented from then on as like a kindliness that they took in an orphan. But like, they took them from someone, it seemed. <laughs> now, there is the, the way to get around this is that there is a moment just before that scene where he is literally in that moment on his own without yeah. those people. But we're never given a breaking point where those people diverged or went separate ways or, or went away or... Like, what's the... Why is he an orphan now? 
I don't know, really. Because no one was in the opening scene with that Beware the Frozen Heart song. That was him. Yeah, that so, kid yeah. was him. Yeah. He had Sven with him. Yeah. And he was them. He was with them. He was clearly with them, yeah. Not one of them was like... There wasn't an, uh, like an undertone of like, oh, there's the orphan kid who doesn't belong with us, or... Who just hangs around and copies us. Or yeah. Like, maybe they... <laughs> I mean, do they all maybe just work at this? They, maybe they're his co-workers? But who was he working for? What company was employing his child? <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, they, they're all gone. Because after that, he seems to be the only guy doing that job. He's the ice-selling man from then on. Yeah. And it's not explicitly said he's the only one, but he's the only one the story cares about from then on. Yeah. If he needed taking in by anyone... Yeah. The, then the equivalent of, like, nearby woodland animals is the last <laughs> on the list, when he's obviously from a nation of people. Yeah. Do you see what I mean about Kristoff being a slightly underdeveloped <laughs> and not quite fully baked character? Yeah. This is stuff that I guess I hadn't fully articulated in my head, but yes... This stuff does bother me as well about the way that he's introduced. Well, but that's what this film did to both of us. It, there was stuff which we weren't able to put our fingers on, but which just left us with this sense of, yeah, but what? Yeah. What happened? Why was that? And without being able to really say what yeah. the points were we were confused on. Because it, it has a veneer of being very slickly made. Yeah. But when <clears throat> you actually take that lacquer coating off the outside... The interior of it is quite spiky and uneven. Mm. And yes, Kristoff, I find him a troublesome character in that regard, which it, it feels like a shame to say, because he is in many ways a likeable, funny yes. presence. I'm happy with him as a Disney character. I'll be happy to see him again in future Frozen things. It's not that. It's, yeah. We're not hating on Kristoff. It's just the... I don't understand really any aspect of how he's been incorporated into the film. Mm. I mentioned this last time. If I do have a complaint about him... Again, and it's still not a complaint about him, it's just the combination of him and Olaf and Sven, who, is, again, Sven is not an actual character, but he's he's another person. He's an, another item of business who, to whom screen time yeah. need to be dedicated. And all of this stuff takes that group further away from being a sounding board through which we can learn more about our heroine, Anna, to a big gaggle of people who are taking screen time away from Anna and preventing us from actually hearing anything from her, really. Yeah. Now, what if... Would you have been satisfied merely by a slightly longer film with that's exactly the same but has some Elsa cutaway scenes in the middle, or not? Um... I mean, that might have helped, but like I said, I don't think that that would have fixed any of these issues that I have with Kristoff yeah. or any of the issues that I had with Olaf that I brought up before, yeah. where I'm saying like, sure, he's funny. He is funny for definite. I just don't see how he interweaves into any of the actual plot yeah. or any of the actual themes or any of the emotional resolution of the way the story shakes out. I just... Yeah can't see what he's doing there from that perspective. And I can see a role for him if he had been with Elsa. And then that would have strengthened Kristoff's role as well, but it's just the way it is, it, it feels very unbalanced. And this is something that I mentioned when we brought it up first, and I saw it in reviews at the time, where they were talking about the fact that in the original Hans Christian Andersen story, this was 
a very, very female-centric story that pretty much the entire cast of it were women. The one major male character was the damsel, essentially. And for this version of it, the two main, main characters are women, but all of the rest of the cast are now male. Yeah. The first time I saw it, I think I was sufficiently taken with the unique aspects of Elsa and Anna that I felt like, yeah, but they're so great, and, you know, those two characters are, are terrific, so, and they're still the, the core axis point of the film, so I don't necessarily mind that the rest of the cast is a bunch of dudes but this time going back to it I feel like there's too much of this bunch of dudes this bunch of dudes are kind of getting to call the shots of how the story and the tone of the film right. ends up panning out post let it go right so what we've got is a film that is centric on these two women and they are everyone would agree the main characters yeah but they don't do the most in it they no or at least certainly one of them does the least Yes. And then the other, whatever she does, it's surrounded by this little ball of encircling men. Who are kind of louder than her and kind of... I don't think they get more screen time than her, but it often feels like I'm paying a lot of attention to their business and what they're up to. I guess in a way that, like, I didn't feel like during... I mean, you've not seen Zootopia yet, but in that, the female lead is definitely the protagonist. Yeah. Uh, Even though the male lead of that film is a much better developed character than any of the male characters in Frozen, has much more of a purpose and story of his own, but still doesn't take away from the, the, the journey of the female lead. Or, to pick a vaguely related example of a film that you have seen, Star Wars The Force yeah, Awakens. I knew you were going there, you yeah. know? Yeah. Rey is the main character. Yeah. She is. And there's a lot of business with the male characters, but they feel complementary. It doesn't upset the balance, does it? No. There is nothing that Finn does where you feel like it's becoming the Finn show. Yeah. No, it's the Ray show. Yeah. And Finn is there and he's a valued addition to what's going on. I feel like Anna gets crowded out. I definitely feel like Elsa is crowded out. Yeah. But it would have been an easier fix with Anna. Just give her a few more lines, take away maybe one of those people who are with her. That's my issue with Kristoff. Now, to go back to the chronological notes, I have, like, maybe the point that is the answer to the question of why he's in this film. And I put this note in. Before we talked about this, before you put any seed in the head of that, I was wondering how the film was going to justify Kristoff's presence, since overall I remember him as a perfectly likeable but unnecessary character who was mainly there as a, a piece in the puzzle to keep you guessing about which direction the act of true love was going to come from. Yeah. There are two that I've thought of. That's the first reason he's there. And it's fine. It's a good starting point. But yeah. it's just not developed into anything strong enough. He needed a bit more. He needed a bit more time and a bit more development. And then it would have been a great piece of Absolutely. Puzzle. Like, I mean, I'm not I, I'm not happy with the idea that a character of that level of prominence should be in the film just purely to be a red herring. A red herring is one way of putting it, but I think, I guess the way that they thought of it is probably the way that it felt to me at the time, which is that as you're approaching the ending, you aren't going, which one of these is a red herring? You're going, how do we solve this complex puzzle of people who are going to end up connecting in some way? There will be an act of true love. Yeah. From which direction does it come? Yeah. And one of the interesting things in rewatching Frozen is seeing the moments where they seed what the actual answer is, because there are more of them than I thought. There are. There definitely are. And unfortunately, a lot of those scenes are in the centre of nuts, which are scenes that feel unnecessary at the time. That is that how seeds and nuts work? Are they inside no, nuts? I, no, they aren't in no. nuts. No. What I, are they I in? Didn't Seed want... pods? No, because then They're you get loads fruit. of seeds. They're in fruit. Yeah, but again, you get loads of seeds. I'm trying to think of something with one seed in it. Should we abandon it? Should we just forget that idea altogether? <laughs> um... 
But this is the second point where I feel like it may be that the creators went, this is how we justify Kristoff. In this scene, there isn't really a way that Anna would survive getting up this mountain without a guy who's an expert in travelling through snow. Yeah. And that seems like it might be it. That might be the justification that they had in their heads for why we have Kristoff. Again, that's not enough of a justification for why he then takes up that much screen time. Yeah, he could have been the guy at the lodge hired, for instance, to get her up the mountain or something. Yeah, exactly. That is a justification for there being a character who leads her up the mountain. Not a justification for him to continue to be there and be this love interest and have this extensive, confusing backstory in which he's in the first scene and then raised by trolls while also working for an ice shipping company. <laughs> that then doesn't exist that anymore. That then doesn't exist. Apparently never did. <laughs> yeah. And then Fixer Upper. Right. We'll get to <laughs> Fixer Upper. We'll get to Fixer Upper. And when we get to Fixer Upper, I was put in such a tiz by it that I'm going to say things that are probably going to seem unreasonable. But hopefully I can at least justify what I meant by them at the time. Yes. Um, and you don't mean the death threats. Then the sled ride is used to reiterate that it's a balmy idea to get engaged to someone you met that day, which otherwise might have seemed underexplored since it was essentially interrupted the previous time. It's a nice little bit of dialogue back and forth. Yeah, and I scene. liked the, the wolf chase, all of the, the yeah. coming up with ideas and how she decides to get rid of the wolf and things like that. I like that scene. Yeah. It's a good bit of business. But I think I brought up last time that the film has hypocritical shifting standards about how seriously it wants us to take the metaphor of love at first sight or mm-hmm. fairy tale love working on a reduced time scale. Yes. That to me undermines that conversation a little bit. That's a great scene on its own. Yeah. But then they then undermine it later yeah. on by kind of going directly yeah. against what they established during it. It's like, you know, the same thing I said about love is an open door. It's a brilliant song that the film then later undermines. That's irksome and happens a few times in this film. All right, so back to this particular scene. They're fighting these wolves, and I noted that it comes across as a slightly slightly more realistic version of when uh, Princess Jasmine sight-read how to pole vault. In Aladdin, there's that moment where Aladdin pole vaults across rooftops. Oh, yeah. And she does it and goes, I'm a fast learner. Like, she she just saw him do it and can do it. Here (laughs) Here we have... A sort of scene a bit like that where it's like, oh, Anna won't know how to do these things. But actually she's really resourceful. She yeah. sets fire to the thing, throws the thing. Yeah. Um, and then uh, that was quite good. And then and then Kristoff cutting the rope, even though he's fine. That is, that's a, a thrilling moment. It looks for a moment there as if that's like a sacrifice is yeah, going to take yeah. place. And then she helps him. And it, yeah. That, it's that a nice scene. little bit of interplay, yeah. And then it all ends on a joke that I apparently always find funny, which is when something sets on fire that shouldn't. Oh, the sled. The sled at the bottom of the cliff. Now, it's justified because it's got the oil lamp in it. Yeah. But it also is that joke of, and it sets on fire like a car or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like that. I've always liked that joke since Homer Simpson poured milk on some cereal. (laughs) Yeah, and it sets on fire. And it sets on fire. I mean, that was the example I was thinking of, yes. (laughs) I I think that's the height of the craft of that joke to date. Yes, that is. (laughs) And the first one I was aware of. Uh, yeah. So maybe that it was just also incredibly original. Yeah, he invented the genre of something inappropriately setting on fire. <laughs> I now have some notes on Sven. Okay. And I'm going to read this out because it's there's a step one, step two yes. sort of layout here. Is it just, I wish Maximus was in this film? Well, that's <laughs> that comes in a minute. <laughs> the gag of Christoph doing Sven's voice. Yeah. Which, by the way... I love because it's what all pet owners do. Yes. You must have done the voice for your birds at some point. Well, my bird actually speaks. 
craply, <laughs> but enough that she has her own voice. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> well, I was a cat owner growing up, and there were canon voices for those cats, you know what I mean? But every pet owner does it to an extent. Yes. I like it being acknowledged here. I like yeah. it. It's an original thing that I don't think I've seen done before. No, not only on a Disney film. But here... It starts to turn from a daft little gag into a really interesting character point because it is Sven, in quotes, who talks Kristoff into helping Anna. Yeah. This is great. First, it's another angle onto people's true selves versus what they let themselves be. Yeah. Because he's, you know, he's exteriorly, he's going, I'm not going to help. I'm the rugged mountain man. And yeah. then it's like, well, you really want to help. So that's like a look into what he really thinks. Yeah. The Sven voice is how he explores what he really feels. Cool. But not quite yet. Here they carefully push this a step further without going the whole way. He doesn't talk himself into helping because it's the right thing to do or because he cares about this person's safety. Here it's presented as it's the only way you'll get the replacement sled. And we know that there's something more going on, but that's what's shown to us. That it's like, well, you'll never get your sled. But the meaning is clear. This is about more than that. It's the beginning of him coming to care for her as a person, not necessarily romantically, but certainly not letting her die. Yes. Hooray! (laughs) But second, and here's one of the points where people say that I'm bringing in my own expectations of being unfair. Is this the point where you say that the fact that he has this other voice, that's the launching off point for your Mm -hmm. fan theory, that actually the whole film takes place in Kristoff's head? (laughs) No, but the first part is right. This This is the launching off point. This is the second step along a lovely path that I think the film here tells us it's going down. And then it just doesn't. It just doesn't bother following it the whole way. Step one, introduce man and his reindeer and that he does the voice. Yeah. Step two, show him talk himself into doing the right thing. Perfect setup for step three, when it really counts later on, have this man argue with himself over an important decision, over something wrenching that he has to decide what he really feels about. They sort of do that, I suppose. But ah, this is it. So I've said, why the hell wasn't there a bit? where this guy uses his reindeer voice to actually talk out something important and deep with himself. It would have been that most beautiful thing, really sad and really funny at the same time, which is always the best kind of either of those. Yeah. Why didn't they do this? They gifted it to themselves (laughs) and then didn't. But then I say, and this is what we're about to go into, what they do do is they basically have that scene, but without him doing the voice. So maybe they decided that it would be more meaningful if that's the time that he doesn't do the voice, or maybe they tried it with the voice and it came across as silly in a serious moment. Yeah. The problem that I have with all of this is that, again, this is a great idea that I feel is just undercooked because of the fact that the reindeer, I always forget, Sven, yeah? Yeah. Does do the faces to go with the stuff that he's being made to say. Yeah. He always, his face always reacts in the way that, that you would animate his face if he was saying those lines. Yes. And they do that in the in the final scene There's the that we're talking about. There's the bit where he says, the equivalent of, I don't love her. And the reindeer does the face that means, you know you do. Yeah. And that feels like, if we're now treating this reindeer as just a reindeer. Yeah. Then why that? And if not, if we're treating it as the character that Sven has been talking, yeah, portray- yeah. why not that? It just feels just underdone. <laughs> just. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying by that. There was the potential for a more robust payoff to that. Yeah, yes. And it doesn't bother me that there is no robust payoff to it, exactly. What bothers me is that they do all the setup for a robust payoff and then don't have one. And there are various things in this second part of the film where that, to me, happened. Yeah. And it was one of the things that I mostly came out of the film conflicted on. Yeah. And thinking about. 
Okay, uh, I'll move on from that because you mentioned Maximus. Yes. Here we are, 44 minutes into the film. They can't contain themselves any longer. <laughs> Sven is now a dog. Like, I'll give them that the moments, and it was only moments, when yeah. Maximus was a dog, entangled, yeah. were funny. Yeah. It was funny that a thing not a dog yeah. was acting like a dog. But here it just makes it look like they've not heard of animals other than dogs. <laughs> it's like, oh, this one's a dog as well. That it was always going to be the case that Sven would be compared to Maximus. Yeah. There was no escaping that. Yeah. Maximus wins. Yes. There's no escaping that. <laughs> but it's because Maximus is one of the better drawn Disney characters of all time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's and it's because they put so much in. They put Basically, why it was funny when he was a dog yeah. was because the rest of the time he was a serious law enforcement officer. Yes. And a horse. That's so funny. Like, I think that they mixed a few different types of animal body yeah. language in with Maximus. And there were times where I thought he was a gorilla as well, <laughs> yeah, you know, when uh, he's really, like, posturing aggressively. Yeah, yeah. So Maximus is this beautiful melting pot of yeah. different character ideas and physical animation and behavioural ideas that are hilarious because he's a horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Maximus is a masterpiece. Yes. And the key part of why Tangled is yes. A, brilliant, and B, better than Frozen. So, so perhaps it's unfair to hold this character up to that standard, but the comparison draws itself. It does. It does, really. I mean, Sven is fine. Yeah, nothing wrong with Sven. He's underdeveloped. He just is. He's just a fairly two-dimensional creation. There's one joke, basically, with... Well, there's two jokes. The voice and the fact that he's Which could dog. be a Kristoff joke, if you see it that way. Yeah, I mean, but then it's just like... Alright, he's there, but he's there to prop up a couple of... Okay, three jokes. The thing where he's trying to eat Olaf's nose. And four jokes. A fanatical devotion to the Pope. What? That is... uh, (laughs) Never mind. That's an old joke. (laughs) So, yeah. The thing of him acting like a dog is fine if this came out before Tangled. But it didn't. But it didn't. So it just looks like they ran out of ideas and went, A dog again! (laughs) I know, he will be a dog. Is that the voice of uh, director Jennifer Lee? Yes. (laughs) So I don't mind this on principle. It's just the fact they already did it in the last film. And it was an example of how I keep being reminded that Frozen was actually, and it was, trying to emulate Tangled at the time. At the time, it kind of was. Yeah. And that's funny in retrospect because it was eclipsed by Frozen. Yeah. So yeah, that is what I have to say about Sven. If Frozen had come first, this would be a totally different conversation. Yeah, uh, yeah. Absolutely. But it didn't. No. So we can't pretend that it did. No, all we can do is give it a certain amount of benefit of the doubt in assuming it was in production at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean... By the way, he's eating jelly beans. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you hear some jelly bean noises. That was a good one, that one. What was it? Um, Some kind of... What colour was it? Greenish yellow with green speckles. Ooh. That could be margarita. Really? It just tastes like some kind of lemon-lime type thing. It's good. Oh, it could have been lemon-lime type thing. It was good. I enjoy them. I will continue to eat these jelly beans throughout yes. this recording. There will be a sort of slobbery jelly bean Noise. theme. Um, <laughs> then we get to there's beauty in it. This was part of the prophecy at the beginning. There's beauty in your power. Yeah. But people will fear it. This is where we reach the winter is beautiful scene. Where you've got the tinkly snowdrop thing yes, yeah. coming off the branches. With the amazing foley. The tinkly sound effects. Christoph, I think, runs his finger through yeah. the branches. And it's perfect. The rise of the tinkly sound is exactly perfect as he puts his hand through it. And that 
that would have been a Foley artist actually doing that with tinkly things. Oh, so it's yeah. like, they must have been over the moon when they got that recording. It's like, that's it. Perfect. Absolutely. Great work, Foley artists. But on the other hand, I resent you because <laughs> your job isn't work. <laughs> you mean you want to be a Foley artist? Yeah, a bit. <laughs> anyway, so this scene is reminding us her powers are not just destructive or rebellious. This is the beauty that the troll talked about. Yeah. Olaf. Yes. I guess the thing I wanted to say about Olaf overall for me was that this was the point where I was most frustrated by the fact that I had been trained by every other amnesia story in existence. Yeah. To expect this to be the trigger for her memories to come back. Yeah. And had I only known, if someone, I think someone should tell you before you watch Frozen, the memories don't come back. That's not what this story is. Yeah. Then I would have been able to accept Olaf with much more open arms, which this time I did. It sounds to me the first first time you watched it you just had the an experience akin to like wanting to sneeze for the whole film exactly that was exactly what it was or rather no i'll tell you exactly what it was like it was like the experience of watching atlantis the lost empire and any other film that uses this trick but this yeah. is the one that i think of milo yes it, it, this is a plot point in atlantis the lost empire which we like which we like yeah goes for a poo he he gets some this is a plot point in the story he goes i'm going for a poo he gets some toilet paper. That's the line and in yeah. that voice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The rest of the time, it's Michael J. Fox. <laughs> in that line, it's me going, I'm going for a poo. <laughs> and then he, he... This is why the film failed at the box office. Yeah. He says something like, I'm going to the bushes. And he gets a toilet roll. So it's always having a poo. Yeah. He goes over to a place that's yeah. secluded, takes off his belt, starts to pull his trousers down. So he's going for a poo. He starts to squat. He's having a poo. Yeah. Then fireflies set the camp on fire. And yeah. he goes, fire. And he runs after them. And he never has a poo. Well, I would say... There are points in that film in which <laughs> there are time skips are. between scenes. I don't think... It, I mean, I know this is a metatextual yes. explanation, and this is, yes. at this point, just my fanfic theory. Sure, and, and of course, my fanfic theory is that he's waiting for a poo the entire time. <laughs> in my fanfic... The whole film becomes a quest for him to have a poo. <laughs> like yes but i need a poo okay we've just got to save atlantis okay is that why he stays in atlantis at the end yes because there's a toilet yeah because <laughs> he knows that if he goes on the journey back it'll be even it'll be longer. ages before he can have a poo. <laughs> yeah he doesn't want to stay in atlantis at the no. end but it's like ah, but the toilets are here yeah okay no you're right you've convinced me he doesn't have a poo <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get back I'm gonna delete all 50 chapters of my fanfic about him having a poo <laughs> and yeah no your one's better <laughs> which by the way you can do if you've uploaded it to fanfic.net because there was someone who had put up the first chapter of a fanfic about me and Brent there what, was a what? there was a yeah there was a Demon Tomato Dave and Brentlefloss I can only hope slash fic <laughs> But it didn't get to that point. It just started with one of us getting sucked into a, a game oh. uh, and the other one doing some other thing. And then it got removed. Why? Was it any good? I don't know. Like it so you never read it? it? No, I read it, but it was like a couple of paragraphs long. It really was the, the very beginning okay, of an yeah. ongoing project. So, so you can pull your fanfic from fanfic.net, I regret to tell you. <laughs> But in this film, it was like if someone at the beginning of the film had been about to sneeze. Yes. And I'd been waiting for them to sneeze yeah, for the yeah, whole yeah, film. Yeah. That is how it felt. Okay. Hence the analogy. 
Yes. So I thought that Olaf was here to trigger her memories. And when I came out of the film, I criticised myself for that as much as I criticised the film because I was thinking, why did I have that idea? Was it yeah. just because of previous films? When I've mentioned it, people have said, oh, you were just bringing your expectations to the table. Yeah. But no, it is the film's fault. And here is why it's the film's fault. And in why this, you in people are wrong. Yeah. In this moment, this is why... No, they're right, but this is why I thought that. And this shouldn't have happened if they didn't want people like me, which I would argue has to be a lot of people. I know what you're going to say. I'm Olaf, says Olaf, mm-hmm. and I like warm hugs. Because in the intro, Elsa said, I'm Olaf and I like warm hugs when they were playing together. And then there is a suspenseful moment yeah. on the strings and glockenspiel or something in the background her face goes contemplative and absolutely every sign a film can use that a person's memories are coming back other than a slow zoom in on their face yeah are used here and she goes that's right olaf yeah and then it just moves on and never comes back to that point never once in fact the film never ever 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 does anything to utilize the fact that olaf is their childhood snowman exactly this is the overarching thing that i felt about him and still feel about him he represents he is the avatar of the love they had as children as children and now knowing that nothing comes of it i realize that i guess he was just there to remind us of it like why is he there if it's not to trigger some sort of thing about their relationship. Yeah. What I expected was that he would trigger Anna's memories and that when that happened, she would be back in danger again. Yeah. That's what I thought it was going for. Now, I recognise that's me putting my own ideas in. But they have definitely teed up something that they don't... I think that what I thought was going to happen is what once was going to happen, and I'll present my case for that later when we get there. Um, I think it's another dangling end from a previous draft of the story. Yeah. And once he was there and designed and probably cast and maybe recorded some of it was like well we can't get rid of Olaf he's great yeah keep Olaf but maybe I'm wrong the test audience all all love him you know yeah maybe I'm wrong and that's not maybe they'd done the teaser by that time I don't know maybe that's not any of that is correct but it's what it feels like and I'm gonna as we go on explain why it feels like that yeah so you felt that as well oh yeah absolutely yeah like that sets up the idea that if not that the memories will return specifically but that okay so that's what Olaf represents to Anna and to Elsa as well like yes because I mean you know Elsa creates him yes doesn't she show recognition of him as well when he comes into the ice palace she does See, here again, this is something I really like in Let It Go, but which feeds into this idea that we're saying they didn't follow through on, which is that she doesn't know until the palace that she created him, but she did it in Let It Go. Yeah. She absentmindedly creates Olaf, which shows you that in her is the desire to reconnect with that relationship. It's there subconsciously at all times. Yeah. She literally didn't even notice she'd done it, and she had perfectly recreated that shared childhood thing. The last shared childhood thing. It was like the last thing they did before the accident. Yes. It's vitally important! (laughs) Why the hell didn't they do anything with it? I don't know! Yeah. It's one of the... It's. I would say it's the big problem I came out of the film with. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. 100%. I won't say it's necessarily my biggest problem now, Fixer Upper is. <laughs> but, yeah, it's what I came out with. Yeah. And then it snaps back into reality with a little joke. Anna does that little thing of shaking her head to dismiss the thought and, like, yeah. return us back to normal story. Yes. And that means... And again, I'm so sorry, but in film language, that means you'll see this again. Put a pin in this. Yes. Remember that this moment happened, though. Yes. So there it is. So it wasn't just that I brought my own expectations with me it wasn't just that the film yeah. did prompt me to believe that the thing here was going to be something yeah 
No, agreed. It put me into a state of suspense for the rest of the film, and it was all for nothing. Yeah. And that's why I came out thinking they'd missed something or forgotten to resolve something. Because you are right. All amnesia stories. We've seen them, we've played games that are them. Every single one, the story is always that the memories eventually come back triggered by some cue. And that's, I guess, just what I had in my head. So now I can say, because I paused a lot during this film, I really took in everything, I now know that the memory of Olaf was in fact not removed. All that's yeah. happening here is she's remembering in the same way that we, at her age, might remember a toy we played with age five or whatever she's supposed to be when, yeah. when she gets struck. That's what it's meant to be, and a defender of the film would be able to point to that and say that's all it is, but there's a language of films so, thing yeah. going on here, and you know, so it isn't, this isn't actually her getting a, the first glimmers of a huge memory back at all but the only evidence for that is skipped over so quickly that i literally didn't know it was there until my yeah. third viewing even then even if that's the case though it still doesn't excuse the fact that the emotional implication of who Olaf is is also never explored yeah just to continue with like what i felt at the time this was where i thought exciting territory was starting i thought we were kicking off an exciting new direction for the story because because i thought she'd just got a slight memory back yeah and if that kept happening it would kill her get the memories back, and she'll go back into her ice coma, because it, that is what... That's the only thing the film has actually spelled out about how magic works in this film. Yeah. If Anna has memories of Elsa's magic, she dies, or goes into a coma, uh, or something. Was that the implication? Wasn't it? At the beginning, it's like, well, this is terrible, she's in this coma, she's not coming out of it, unless we remove her memories. We have huh. to heal the head by removing the memories, all memory of magic. I mean, isn't it? What else would you say it was? I thought that they sort of healed her and then wiped her memory of it so as to... So it wouldn't come back. Well, I thought that was more of a case that the healing was separate from the okay. memory erasing and the memory erasing was a sort of like, okay, so we've healed her, but now you need to get a check on this whole ice magic thing. Oh. And that includes us wiping her memory of it so that it will be easier for you to deal with Elsa in and of herself. Yeah, but it wasn't Anna knowing about the magic that hurt her i don't know i mean I, I do thought... you know what you're you're right but i also think i'm right i think this is yet another example of where like if they were just a bit clearer yeah something i've been thinking about since we talked about it the other day is the fact that when elsa went all ice powers post coronation and uh the duke of wesselton was like sorcery yeah and all the way through his thing is like magic i i didn't know about that and it's bad but the start of the film gives us people are born with magic if you've got a problem you go and talk to the magic folk yeah like what is it what is it? Is What is magic in this world? Now, again, if you want to defend the film, you can say, well, it's just different in Arendelle. In Wesselton, they've never heard of magic. Here, everyone knows it. But is it? Was it? Did the king covertly go to the trolls? Is that something he would... Just the fact that he knew about the existence yeah. of trolls, would he hide that from his people? I, yeah, I mean, I would... I was working on the assumption that it's, yeah, some people in the know know yeah. about it. But most of the populace don't know about it. Yeah. And if most people found out about it, they'd freak the hell out. And I think that's what it is. And yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. I've got no problem accepting that. But it's just an, it's just me pointing the finger at yet another time where it isn't said and it isn't even said in a show-don't-tell way. It's just there. Yeah. And if you decide to go along with it, it's fine. But if you're going, hang on, what? Then it isn't fine. No. That you only have to have the slightest, like, oh, wait a minute, what is it? Yeah. And suddenly it isn't anything, you realise. 
If anybody listening to this has an in-depth mm. good explanation for this, yeah. please let us know. Yeah. Because maybe we're wrong. Maybe yeah. we've missed something. But I don't feel like we have. I've really meticulously gone over it. I was pausing every couple of minutes to write uh, something down while I watched yeah. this. And I'm, I feel like I've seen everything in the film now. But maybe not. So yeah, do yeah. let us know. So just to carry on with this thought as written down. Suddenly we're in exciting territory. I was thinking that if this happened much more it would kill her, right? That's what I thought, whether I was right or not. The fact that this never happens felt like a loose end to me at the time. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that now, but what I will say is that the things that do happen are so similar, Yeah. but with the names changed, that it strikes me that this may have been what happened once. She gets to Elsa. She sees everything she hasn't yet seen. Ice magic yeah. happens to her again. She's gradually slipping away again. Her hair is turning whiter again to emphasize that the same thing is happening, yeah. but going further this time. She needs to have the ice magic removed from her again. It's the story I'm expecting to be told. It's the story I'm seeing. She sees ice magic. The hair turns white. She's in trouble again. She has to be healed again. Ticking yeah. clock. It is that, but instead of it being because of the seed sown here, it's because Elsa just zaps her again, which of course is a great character moment for Elsa. Yeah. And that just seals it for me because there's so many times when I've been working on a story and I'll realise it'd be a better moment for this or that character or theme if yeah. this slightly different thing happens instead of what I was planning. And you end up with two conflicting versions of the story. You've got yeah. two reasons for the same thing to happen. Yes. And if you are not careful and don't scrap one, you end up with dangling ends of both lurking yeah. and clashing with each other. And this film's is... full of those. Exactly. And this is the ordinary process of developing an animated film. Yeah. Consider Tangled, where the early version of the story had some modern-day high school kids getting sucked into a storybook. Did it? Yeah. That was what Tangled was originally going to be. I mean, it would have been Rapunzel then, presumably. Yeah. But it was going to be a modern high school comedy in which they get sucked into a storybook and the girl and boy who are like arguing in the modern world yeah. end up as Rapunzel and a prince or whoever. Okay. That was the very, very early version of the film. And there is no trace of that. No, no, no. Entangled. That is exercised completely. Yeah. I feel like there are multiple places in this film, and I could be wrong about that one, where we're looking at the footprints that are still there from previous versions of development of this. And if I'm wrong and that's never what it is, yeah. some tightening somewhere still remains that could have been done. Agreed, yeah. It's a messy film. But you see why whenever I try and bring this up, people just tell me I brought my own expectations into the film because it all hinges on well I thought this would happen yeah and that's what it might be I've always entertained that possibility but I, I, that's it I, I don't think I just think I can make a decent case for this scene being why I felt like that that's it I don't think you can mark the film down for it didn't happen the way that I expected it exactly happen. no but you can mark a film down for this film is full of vestigial loose ends from previous story treatment yeah and we don't know it is but it looks I'm pretty very sure much it is. like the fact it is. that the Duke of Wesselton still exists in the story I think is one. The fact that Olaf is what he is and not what he ought to be. So a lot of my original notes for the film, which I, I'll mention them if we come to them, but I think I've kind of smoothed them over, but a lot of my original notes were based on that. Like, yeah. this means that this will happen and it doesn't. Yeah. Which may be a bit... Presumptuous? Presumptuous on my part. Let's go on to <laughs> In Summer. Yes. I like In Summer. So do I. Yeah. But mm -hmm. <laughs> it's Olaf in a nutshell, isn't it? It's funny. Yep. It's entertaining. Yep. It's charmingly done. Yep. It serves no purpose whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it serves a purpose, it's to inform a scene that nearly happens later <laughs> and doesn't. 
Yeah. <laughs> or does, if we look at it through their lens and allow that that scene in front of the fireplace was what was always this was supposed to be about. Yeah. And it was never supposed to go any further than that. But this scene... Then that's a lot of screen time for a half-emotional beat. There are people who think, they're like, they know what I'm going to say and they're cross with me. So hold off on hating me until we get to the fireplace because I'm not going to be... I'm not going to say I wanted Olaf to die. <laughs> but I'm going to talk around that subject. But yeah, what I've got is, I've always wondered, am I am I missing some reason why he's always enjoyed the idea of summer? Is this song because of something, or is it just a funny gag they thought of? I think it's just a joke. Yeah. And yeah. it's a funny joke. I like the way that the lyrics are written in the way that they are, so that every time he says a conditional term, yeah. like probably, yeah. in the lyrics, it feels like it's jammed in there. Yes. Oh, it's really well written. It like, is. It, I think it's as well written as Love's an Open Door in terms of like, it feels like this could be lifted from one of their stage musicals that they did before this. Like, like Avenue Q. Avenue or, Q. Yeah. Did they do Book of Mormon or was that? Yes. It's a very funny song. And it's based on a character concept that is amusing, the whole yes. idea of this. Yep. Really, really good. Yeah, the snowman who wants to experience summer but and is naively assuming that it will all be fine. Yes. And uh -huh. why not? He's never seen it. Yes. But it's in another film than that. Yeah. There's a film in another dimension where the whole film, that's the tone of it. Yeah. And this film, all the way through, is trying to be, and succeeds at being, like, a film about emotional connections and a film about, like, quite serious things. We just talked about, well, last time, we <laughs> talked extensively about the fact that this is a very sincere film. Yes. So this and it's is not a winking film. No, so this is a great moment. It's funny, it's a good song. Everyone was laughing at it in the cinema, as yep. I recall. But then, there's another seed. I think I'm justified in thinking the film was going a different direction because of what happens next. At the end of the song, there is a lovely moment, or towards the end of the song, where the song goes cod serious. The, the music slows down, he goes misty-eyed, he starts talking in, a, in yeah. an I want song voice. Yeah. And he says, and you guys will be there too. Yeah. And I'm going, hold on, I see what's happening here. This is the character's intro. We know the rules of musicals. This isn't just nothing. It's actually the setup for this character's whole being. And later on, he's going to melt. Yeah. Or be put in a position where he finds out what Snow does in summer. And you guys will be there too. And it'll be a thing. Yeah. And, and it isn't. Yeah. It sort of is. It's There's a scene that alludes to it, but... It, isn't an important scene for him, particularly. That's because um, he's not an important character, ultimately. No. Like I said, the song is Olaf in a nutshell. Yeah. I don't begrudge it, but no. there's no reason for it. And no. there's no reason for him. No. But I like him. I'm glad he exists. Yeah. Again, it's a thing that we like, and we don't wish it wasn't in the film. We wish it needed to be in the I film. I wish it was better incorporated yeah. into this film, or I wish it was incorporated into a different film yeah. that plays to the strength, the numerous strengths of yeah. that character. Yeah. And as we subconsciously look forward to the good time that will be the upcoming Frozen 2, you, the listener, can first look forward to hearing us go completely off the deep end in our next episode, when we attempt to explain to each other as much as to ourselves why we dislike the song Fixer Upper so much, when the melody is one we find catchy and pleasant. Why does it rankle us? Find out in part 5 of the Serious Disney's Frozen discussion. Send your messages of support or revulsion to SeriousDisness on Twitter or SeriousDisness at gmail.com and we will answer your questions like actually in podcast. And I keep forgetting to say that you've got to give us uh, reviews and stars on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called now. Otherwise, nobody will ever hear the podcast except for us and you.